Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and praying mantises everywhere who can't find their rosary beads. It's Thursday at three o'clock, and you know what that means? Live from the Michigan State University campus and live from Chowchilla, California, it's Tea with BBP. I'm your host, Bill Van Patten, AKA BBP, international superstar and diva of SLA. Wow. And speaking of rosary beads, with me are my two favorite people who just can't say enough Hail Marys on my behalf. <laughs> my co-hosts, Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Come on, say hi, kids. Wow. Hello, everybody on this most I had a dime for every time Thursday. Walter says, wow, after an intro. Angelica, are you listening to me? Yeah, yeah, no, you're it's right. It's like yeah. clockwork. He says, wow. Every well, but I mean, your intros time. are so stunning. There is nothing else to say than wow. It's very yeah, true. Well, Speaking of stunning, and you know our topic. What's our topic today, Walter? Uh, noticing the noticing yeah, so hypothesis. In fact, let's see if anybody noticed anything about my intro. So, Angelica, you monitor the mixer there. I'm asking people right now. Did you notice anything about my intro? See what they say. What did um, they notice? Yeah, what did they notice about my intro? So, uh, you kids are looking good today. Oh, Walter, so the first week you. of classes must be treating you fine. You know, Walter, Angelica, Walter has to deal with all these issues the first week, first days of classes. Oh, I can only imagine. The Spanish language program, so, you know. It's a little bit crazy, so, but we're still above water. It's good. Yeah, I love it when all those poor freshmen come to class and they just, they don't, they don't know where they're supposed to be. They say they're, they're in the wrong place and they're like, oh, and can I switch to this class? And Walter's like, no, no. <laughs> Yep, gotta be starting. I had the first crier this morning. Oh no! Oh no! Did you make somebody cry, or did they just no, cry on their just, own? <laughs> I didn't. See, I think the student was just simply overwhelmed with transitioning to college, and with being in a Spanish class that seemed like it was perhaps I don't even remember if it was too easy or too hard. I don't remember, but anyway, tears were flowing, and I was like, "It's okay. Take a deep breath. Everything's gonna be all right." Bill, Rock a bye. Bill, you might need to repeat where we are from today because Keith was saying that he was having buffering issues so he was not able to notice what you were saying. Um, Nina just oh. came back from yoga, so some people missed your intro. Oh, well, it's, hey, it's not my fault people missed the intro. The show starts at 3 o'clock Eastern time, and if you're not on there at 3 o'clock Eastern time, I'm not going to redo the intro. There. Did I make anybody cry, Walter? <laughs> I don't see any tears uh, on there yet. So nobody, nobody on Mixler heard what I said, Angelica? Well, Dana's saying somebody's in California. There we go. Liz. Okay, yeah, there we go. We can, we can go with that. Yeah, we're doing a split show today, gang. Um, for the audience there who does not know, Walter and Angelica are in the studio with um, Dan and Dustin and Luca and everybody else. And I'm out in Chowchilla, California. And if anybody knows what Chowchilla is, they will win a free prize today. They're going to all look it up on the map of California. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm just kidding. You're not going to win a prize if you know what Chowchilla is. Chowchilla is in central California, in the central, what's called the Central Valley. And it's about a half hour north of Fresno, if you know what Fresno is. And so that's where I am. And uh, we will be doing the show split like this off and on this year. Um, sometimes I'll be in the studio there in East Lansing. And sometimes I'll be here in Chowchilla, California. By the way, Walter, do you know where the word Chowchilla comes from? I don't. You don't? It it's an Indian from? tribe. It's a local name for an Indian tribe here in um, the Chowchilla Indians. So that's where the name of the town comes from. All right. Well, we got a big show today with lots to talk about. We're going to talk about the noticing hypothesis. Um, and uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to remind everybody, I'm still hawking my book. What's the name of my book, Angelica? <laughs> oh, oh my I know, gosh! I know. It's got BBP I know, on it. I know. Uh, okay, <laughs> Walter, you tell everybody what the name of my book is. Tell them. Tell them. I'm the better child, Angelica. Uh, while we're on the topic, yes. Do you know the but subtitle? There has to be more than that. While we're on the topic, what BVP on language teaching, learning, and something like that. Yes, See, it's while we're on the topic. Leave me well, no, he people. doesn't. That's okay. That's all right. That's okay. <laughs> well, hey, he knew more than you knew. Okay. Oh, so. <laughs> man, I knew there was BVP on it. 
See, Angela did not, Angela, Angelica did not notice the title of the book. Walter noticed most of it. So there you go. I no, the title of my book is While it. We're on the Topic, uh, BVP on Language, Language Acquisition, and uh, Classroom Practice. And uh, it's published by Actful. just came out this last month, beginning of August, actually. I guess this month we're still, yeah, this is the last day of August, I just realized. Mm. Yeah, so it just came out. So Payday. again today, oh, wait, we are going to do the same thing today show <laughs> that we did last week. What did we do last week with my book, Walter? We gave away a prize for, well, everyone who called in, their name was put in a hat. Well, in some weird looking box, actually. And we picked it out and uh, someone won a prize. And it was your book. Yeah. With your signature. Exactly. With, with, yes, I signed the book and sent it off to the person. So we're going to do the same thing this week. I have another copy of my book. So all people who call into the show today, regardless of why you call in and what you're calling about, uh, your names will go into a hat. Um, and then at the end, at 3.55, punctually, we will pull a name from the, um, from the box or the hat or whatever we have. And whoever's name we pull will win a copy of my book free. You know, Angelica, I think that if he had given you a copy of his book for free, I know. then maybe you would oh, have known the name it. of it, Are you kidding right? me? Absolutely. Come on now. Yeah. You know? I'm, She's I'm giving these away to our child. listeners, and we don't even I have know. a copy. What's up I with that? I know. I know. It's sad. <laughs> you know so what? what we get? Just because I'm not there in a studio and I can't reach out and grab your head and <laughs> smash them together does not. <laughs> yeah, there is a little bit and of those, a higher don't, level Don't of worry sass. out there in the audience. I will not be committing an act of violence doing that because they have these big headphones on. Their headphones is like a helmet. They would be fine. But I just wanted to reach out and do that. Anyway, yeah. So we're going to give a, a, a book away. So make sure you call in. Dustin will get your name and then your name will go in a hat. And then we'll send that book out. And also, of course, we have our... Our weekly SLA challenge question. I'll give the question here in a few minutes. And the first person to call in with the correct answer wins a prize. Not a book, although your name will go in the hat for a book if you call in. Um, you'll win our, our typical little um, doodads. We have coasters. We have post-it notes. We have bags. We have other things that we can send you as a prize for answering correctly the SLA challenge question. So keep your cell phones close by, people. You know, because I know how people are. They're sitting there. They just got back from yoga and they're all like, ah, where's my phone? I want to call in. And they get up and they fall over. And then they <laughs> injure themselves and they don't hear the rest of the show because they have to call 911 to come and get them off the floor. And then they're in the hospital for three days, all because they didn't have their phones close by while they're trying to answer this late challenge question. So keep your cell phone close by. Same is true for the Diva Challenge question. I'll read that question at some point and you'll have time to pick up, punch in your number or our number and tell Dustin, hey, I want to talk to the Diva about the Diva question. Okay, the number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. We do not take tweets as answers. We do not take emails as answers. You must call us in. We must call in for, for those um, challenge questions. Call now with call your credit anyway. card ready. That's 517 yes. Oh, wait, sorry, no. 4321. Well, go ahead, say the number again. There we go, 517-884-4321. And unlike Walter, I will take your credit card number if you offer it to me. <laughs> and, of course, Angelica will be looking at Mixler, and she will tell us what's going on there. Hopefully you'll be gossiping behind the scenes. Not about me. Please gossip about Walter. Don't gossip about me. <laughs> I couldn't take it. I've got such a fragile ego. Right, 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 right. And people don't know this about me. I do. I always worry about what people think of me. Hmm. I do. My gosh, I do. Well, we I go, love I, sometimes you I can't sleep worth. at night. I'm tossing and turning, wondering, what did that person really mean today when he said that to me? No, I don't do that at all. Believe me. Divas don't do that. <laughs> we think something else. We, and I can't say it on the air what we think. Okay, should I get into the should I get into the noticing hypothesis? Yes, please. Should let's I talk hear a little bit about it? Okay, let's talk about it. Maybe I should give the Lucas, should I give the SLA challenge question first? I think I should give the SLA challenge question, then get into noticing. Um, that way people have time to think about it in the background. So let me give the SLA challenge question and uh, then we'll talk a little bit about noticing. So here we go. Get your phones ready. Now, we have often talked about language as mental representation, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, about mental representation on the show. And that's true for both first and second language learning. We have said that this representation has three main characteristics. It is one, abstract. It is two, complex. And what's the third characteristic? Name that third characteristic and win a prize. Again, we've talked about language as mental representation on the show for both first and second language learning. 
And we've said this representation has three main characteristics. One, it is abstract. Two, it is complex. Name the third characteristic and win a prize. There we go. Got it? Get it? Good. Okay, let's talk about noticing. Now, Walter, Angelica. Bill. Yes. When was the noticing hypothesis launched? Do you know what year it was launched in? Uh, I didn't notice. <laughs> 1990. So it's been around for a while. It was launched in, the noticing hypothesis was launched in 1990 um, by the late Richard Schmidt, who was a, a professor of second language studies at Hawaii. I knew Richard personally, and I liked him very much. We'd been friends for a long time, and I always admired his scholarship and integrity. Um, although I do disagree with him on the noticing hypothesis, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, but what the noticing hypothesis says is really rather simple. It, what, what, what it says is that for learners to acquire formal features of language, so like verb endings, noun endings, or what we typically call grammar, so that for learners to acquire these formal features of language, they must notice them in the input. That's what it says. And by notice, Dick meant that there must be some kind of conscious awareness of that formal feature in the input. So let me give an example. Like if I'm acquiring French, and let's say uh, there's stuff in the input about the past tense in French, I must somehow notice, that is, become aware that there are two verbs used, avoir and être, for example, right? So um, I have to somehow consciously become aware of those verbs in the input and that they're used to, to make the past tense. Now, the noticing hypothesis does not claim that I notice how they are used. It only claims I notice that they are used. Everybody get that? I don't have to notice how they are used. I only have to notice that they are used. At least that's what the original noticing hypothesis claimed. Uh, I would also have to notice that they are used uh, with what we call a past participle. So I have to notice two things, right? Again, I don't have to know that the thing is called a past participle. I, you know, I just have to notice that there's this particular kind of verb form that it seems to appear with avoir and être in the past tense. Um, all right. Now, over the years, the noticing hypothesis has evolved depending on the focus of researchers. And most notably, the noticing hypothesis has been used by those who advocate for guess what, Walter? Guess what they advocate for? They advocate for explicit grammar instruction. Exactly. So the noticing hypothesis has been used by people who want to advocate for focusing on grammar in classrooms. Um, I'm going to add here that the noticing hypothesis, I have a problem with that word today, hypothesis. <laughs> hypothesis. <laughs> too many fuzz in there. <laughs> too many, I can't do it. Yeah. Anyway, I would add that the NH, I'm going to call it the NH for short. How's that? I would add that the NH actually has been distorted by some researchers and, and some practitioners to support what they want to do in language classes or to support what they want to do in research. So they kind of twist it a little bit and they read into the original um, hypothesis that, oh, I said it right that time. Yay! <laughs> um, they've actually distorted it. They read into it because that's what researchers and teachers often do. They read into something that's not really there. Um, now, to their credit and to, and to play devil's advocate for these people, one of the reasons these distortions happen is that the noticing hypothesis is not very clear on what awareness means and what is meant by properties of language. So the, the two questions are this for the noticing hypothesis and people who are, are adherents of it. Just what does it mean to become aware of a property of a language? Now, Dick tried to clarify this over the years, and um, I'm not sure that everybody got it. I, I'm not going to go into details here because it's a very long, detailed explanation of what awareness means. Uh, but people still have problems with that, and I think that awareness means different things to different people. The other uh, question is, what kinds of properties of language do we mean when we're talking about the noticing hypothesis? Okay, so earlier in our SLA questions about um, Mental representation, right? So that's that's an important thing lurking in the background. Now, if you think about it, you guys, noticing seems to be okay when it comes to something like noticing avoir and être to make the past tense in French, right? I mean, it just sounds simple. It sounds straightforward. It makes common sense, right? But notice how noticing runs into problem um, when we come to such things as ungrammaticality and hidden features of language. So, for example, how does Walter, let me, let me give you two verbs, right? Actually, okay. I'm going to do this with Angelica, because yeah, Angelica, you're not a do. native speaker of English, right? I am not. Okay. So we'll see if this works. Okay. So um, 
you know that we can use re with verbs to mean do again, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you don't like your office, the mm-hmm. way it's painted, you could repaint it, right? That is correct. Now, if you don't like the way the cake came out, can you rebake the cake? Well, I mean, no. <laughs> Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you, you can remake a new batch of cake, but you can't rebake. Yeah, but you can't rebake a cake. No. How about this? Say, so say you had a dog in front of you right now and you pet the dog, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Then you did it again. Walter, can she repet the dog? Nope. No, Angelica's shaking her head. She's going, no, she, you can't repet a dog. So the question becomes, how is it that you come to know that re can't be used with a bunch of verbs? They only be used with certain verbs. How do you come to know that? The noticing hypothesis was posited to only notice what is in the input, not what is not in the input. But as we know, we've talked about in the show, so much of language involves hidden features and hidden stuff, constraints on language that has nothing to do with noticing. Now, I do not use the construct of noticing in my own research. People think I do, but I don't. Um, and, and again, this is problematic for me for a variety of reasons. Instead, I always talk about the term or the construct processing. Now, I'll give the two of you, Angelic and Walter, a free copy of my book if you can tell Ooh. me the difference between noticing and processing. Go. What's the difference between noticing and processing? Uh, he's Googling. He's Googling. He's Googling. She's Googling. Cheater, cheater. No, I'm not, I am not Googling. Cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. Okay, <laughs> Walter, you cannot know. Google. Well, I mean, noticing okay. is the f- noticing comes before processing. Right? I mean... Processing is a deeper understanding of the of the concept. Noticing. Okay, no free books in this group oh, today. Man. I'll tell you right now. Jeez, and I was the person who originated the use of the term processing in second language research way back in the eighties. Okay, that's all right. Okay, processing simply means that learners actually connect some part of a speech stream to its meaning. That's all it means. So in processing, we don't care about awareness of formal features because formal features aren't the things that get processed. What gets processed are, you ready for this term? Morphophonological units of meaning. Now, morphophonological units of meaning is just a fancy pants term for words, phrases, chunks, routines. Um, do we know what a routine is? You guys know what a routine is, Walter Angelica? What in language? I, no. A routine is something like, how's it going? It's a stock phrase. It's stored as one big chunk. It's like a chunk. Chunks can be parts of uh, a routine, but a routine is a whole thing used as like a sentence or for, uh, to mean something. So how's it going? What's up? Um, or now what up, bro? You know, things like that are all routines. So morphophonological units like that are what gets processed. And when learners process language, they are not on the lookout for past tense markers, auxiliary verbs, verb endings, and so on. They are on the lookout for what something means. So processing then means building sentence meaning while you're listening or reading. And so all the, all the stuff that happens with features of language happens unconsciously in your head um, behind the scenes as these meaningful bits of language store up and your language making device in your head starts to make connections and see things and yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. But let's go back to noticing because, you know, actually I talk about this in a 2015 article. So I'm going to have Luca put it up. Um, for as a, on a reference site for people wanting to see the difference between noticing and processing. But back to noticing, I'm going to talk about noticing one more thing and then we'll start taking calls and, and see what's going on. Um, again, I said that the noticing hypothesis has been distorted in language teaching um, to mean that if learners don't notice grammar in the input, then we must make them notice it. We either have to teach it or somehow draw their attention to it. Now, a good deal of this thinking is predicated on a lack of knowledge about what language is and how language works. And also, sort of a a fuzzy notion of of how acquisition works, right? So what we have to remember, gang, and when I say gang now, I don't mean Walter now, I mean everybody out there listening. What we have to remember is input does not contain rules. It does not contain formal features of language. It is simply a speech stream, or in the case of sign languages, a sign stream. It's the mind that imposes order on the data that makes it into the mind brain. And what is more, if noticing were a valid construct, and again, I'm going to debate that it is, then there is the possibility that we've missed something in this idea of noticing hypothesis. And it's this. You guys ready for this? 
it is this. Learners notice stuff only when they are ready to notice it. Okay, so, so learners notice stuff <laughs> only when they are ready to notice it. That's so deep. Now, that's something that's never been talked about. I'm throwing it out there. So the phones are open. Call in. We've got the SLA challenge question. We've got uh, the Mixler going on. We've got all kinds of stuff going on. So that's it for noticing for right now. Anybody, by the way, um, notice my intro? They never wrote, we already talked about that, but nobody ever wrote about the intro. Yeah, no, a couple of people did. Okay. All right. All right. Well, um, I'm going to go to the Twitter press then while we wait for the phones. And um, Lucas sent out the following question. How does the noticing hypothesis influence your teaching, if at all? Right. Okay. So uh, Longinus says, to help students notice inflectional changes, I write noun endings in blue, verb endings in red, and stem-based changes in green. Okay, I guess presumably on a whiteboard or something. And then Lunginus adds, is this helpful or distracting? I don't know. Um, it's not clear to me that noticing really does anything. So, all right. Jose says, I point out certain endings for certain situations almost all the time we see them. He calls this pop-up style, like the way TPS talks about pop-up grammar. And then he goes on and he asks a question, do repetitions help? Uh, well, of course, repetition in the input helps. That, that's one of the biggest things that we know is going on um, in acquisition is the impact of frequency on things. Not absolutely, but frequency is a major factor. Okay, Lake says, uh, drawing attention and brief asides to morphology to enhance and verify comprehension. Sounds a little bit like what Jose says, pop-up, right? Um, and then Sarah says, it affects how I organize and color things I write on the board. A little bit like Lunginus, right? Uh, I find the hypothesis intriguing as a potential answer to our time problem, as in not noticing will work, but only with massive amounts of time, which we don't have. So if there's no noticing hypothesis, let's all quit. Mm, Sarah, I don't agree with you about let's all quit. There's all kinds of things, reasons why teachers are necessary uh, without noticing. Um, so, um, so I wouldn't say that, but um, I'm not sure time, I'm not sure noticing speeds up. I actually just wrote a chapter. We're doing a book for Cambridge and I just drafted the chapter on does instruction make a difference? Um, and um, it's surprising. It is surprising how the research that involves the noting, noticing hypothesis um, really has no clear evidence that noticing does anything. So there's that. All right. I'm done talking. You guys talk for a while. I'm, I'm going to take a sip of my water. Walter, say something. Something. Oh, my goodness. Oh, He's so on. literal all the time. Oh, sorry. That's not what you meant? Well, um, Lisa didn't say wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I, uh, I'm listening to you. I'm, I know that uh, there, you know, there are times we focus on, in the input, we talk about input enhancement. So how does input enhancement, uh, you know, work together with this idea of the noticing hypothesis versus processing instruction? There, well, input enhancement is predicated on noticing in a certain extent um, that somehow drawing learner's attention, which is a form of noticing, drawing learner's attention to things in the input um, can help them with those things. Again, how you define help and how you operationalize help in research is a whole other question, right? Um, and again, there's no real research. Winnie Wong did a book on input enhancement and a lot of textual enhancement research is kind of 50-50. Sometimes it looks like it helps and sometimes it doesn't. The problem with that research, of course, is the measurement. Everybody uses the, the, the research on noticing really biases toward explicit knowledge and not implicit knowledge. And we really don't care about explicit knowledge. That's not what acquisition is about. And because implicit knowledge is so qualitatively different from explicit knowledge, it doesn't make sense for us to be running around testing all these things um, when ultimately that's not what acquisition is about. Um, and processing instruction is quite different because processing instruction doesn't require noticing it. it, it what it does is it makes, makes learners, um, uh, make four meaning connections where listening to sentences and it doesn't test rules. It actually tests your ability to interpret sentences. So whereas in all the other research, people actually look to see if people have learned something, they give them tests on something. So processing instruction is quite, quite different in that sense from 
and I'm not saying process construction doesn't suffer from some research designs. I don't think it does. Although some really interesting research is coming out in process construction using eye tracking and self-paced reading that's showing that we're actually getting behavioral changes in processing after processing instruction. So stay on the lookout for that. It's coming out. That research is hot up the press. One study came out last year and one's about to come out. Okay. So what else? We got any email questions? We got any Mixler issues coming up? Yeah, so um, Reed was saying earlier, the question is, do learners notice after something is acquired or acquire something after noticing? That's a good question. Krashen has argued that noticing happens after it's been acquired. He calls it the Eureka phenomenon, that all this time you've had it in your system and all of a sudden you go, oh, wait a minute, I never noticed that before. But yeah, I already knew that. So again, Krashen calls it the Eureka, Eureka phenomenon. Um, now... Again, the problem we have is our definition of language um, and, and, and what it is people think needs to get noticed. So, for example, Longinus says that he um, puts on the um, board uh, noun endings in blue, verb endings in red, and uh, uh, what was it? Something else, stem changes in green, things like that. And that's all well and good. I mean, nobody's, nobody's going to die from doing this. Nothing's going to happen to anybody. And Longinus, so you know, I don't think it's distracting. Um, although... It makes it look like the endings, I mean, everything we know about the way endings are acquired is that you don't acquire endings, you acquire words that have endings. And over time, after you accumulate enough of these words with endings, your internal system starts to make connections between all these words. So that, let's just say mus in M-U-S in Latin, which is the ending for we, right? Um, let's just say that after you have enough of these words with moose in them, then your system um, can generate, can comprehend new things and generate new things because moose has been tagged with underlying features, right? So, and, that, and that's critical. You're, you have to let the system do what it's going to do. Um, and it needs a robust lexicon for these things to develop. Um, so, again, I don't, I, I don't think it's distracting. Um, I don't know if it's helpful. Um, but again, the goal is not to get people to learn endings. The goal is to get people to build up enough lexicon with these endings already attached to words so the language learning mechanisms in the head can make use of those things. There, I said it again. Boom. Excellent. Done. Great. Excellent. Okay. Who's not answering the SLA question? Can I am you, Can you repeat it, please? Of course I can repeat it for you, Angelica. Anything. Thank I would you. repeat this five times if you needed me to. Okay, gang, so here's the SLA challenge question out there listening. You uh, need to uh, call in. We have often talked about language as mental representation on this show, and this is true for both first and second language learning. We have said that this representation has three main characteristics. One, it is abstract. Two, it is complex. And what else? And I've already mentioned the what else like three times in the show today, but nobody's probably noticed. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. Okay, we do have a caller on the line, it looks like. Yay! We have somebody, we have Reed, are you on the line? I, I am on the line. Hey, yes. Reed, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Hawaii. From Hawaii, what part of Hawaii? Honolulu. Hey, one of my favorite places. So how are you doing out there? Good, good. Working on my dissertation, um, transcribing every day. Oh, you guys, we have a hot dog in the line here. He's working a dissertation. Hmm. Okay. So I understand, I understand, Reed, you're calling about the SLA challenge question, correct? Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to read it one more time just to refresh everybody's memory. And then you lucky person, you'll win a prize if you get it right. And then your name will go in the hat. Whether you get it right or not, your, your name will go in the hat for the book. Okay. We've talked about language as men cool. mental representation on the show for both first and second language learning. We've said this representation has three main characteristics. One, it is abstract. Two, it is complex. Read, take it away. What's the third characteristic? Is it implicit? It is implicit. Ding, ding, Excellent. ding, ding, ding. Hey, Reed. Okay. Hey, Reed, you win a prize and your name goes in the hat for the book. So, Reed, what do you mean by implicit? Tell the audience there what implicit means. It is not explicit. It is unconscious, and the learner is generally unaware of it. Okay. The, the, it exists outside of your awareness. Now, you know, but just to make sure everybody understands what we mean by this implicit, Reed, you know you have language in your head, right? So you're yes. aware that you have language. What you're not aware of is the specific content of that language. That's what we mean by why it's implicit. So um, 
yeah. for example, Angelica, Angelica, why can't you put uh, re with pet to say I repetted the dog? Well, you can't, but I don't know why. It just doesn't sound right. See, so she has, she's she's aware that she has something in her head, but she has no idea what it is that she has in her head. That's what we mean by implicit. Right, Reed? There you go. Yes, I agree. There yeah. you go. Yeah. And she doesn't know about points and continues. There you go. Great. All right, Reed, anything else? You're just calling about the SLA challenge question. Are we going to let you go? That was okay. It. That's it. Just calling to say uh, just that and, and good job. Keep up the good well, show. Well, thank you, Reed, for calling in. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye, Reed. Bye-bye. Yay, we got a dissertation person calling in. Yay, that's Excellent. good. That should inspire all those people out there in graduate school. Mm-hmm. Busy, busy working on his dissertation. I actually know who Reed is. I met him at a conference. And he's tra- he's got to do a lot of transcription because he's working on um, transcriptions of TPRS and stuff. So what are you guys laughing at? What's so funny? Your dog. They're pointing at we me and laughing. We saw your dog. <laughs> we saw oh, Murphy. saw my dog. <laughs> Yeah, don't call him because he'll start barking. (laughs) I have a big sign in my front door. I have a big sign in my front door, and and all doors. I actually had the door to my office here closed, and I'm sweating with the fan on because it's going to be like 105 today here. But I I have a big sign on the front door that says, "Do not disturb between noon and 1 p.m. (laughs) Do not knock. Do not ring the doorbell," Um, because I could ignore it, um, but my dog would go spastic when the doorbell rang. All right. Okay. Um, let's I wonder see. if Reed Let me worked the d- with uh, Richard Schmidt from Hawaii. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, yep. I'm sure he didn't yep. know him and work with him. Okay, let me give the Diva Challenge question right now because we've got to get that out there. Are you ready for this, Angelica, Walter? Yes, bring We're it on. Ready. Okay, I know Walter knows the answer to this. So, Walter, you cannot wow. call and win a prize. You know, I know, I know wow, the answer to the, the Diva answer. Challenge That's question. Shocking. You do. I think you do. I think you do. I, uh-huh. I wrote it just for you. Okay, here we go. Ready? Lots of divas are known for singing before they make the leap to film. One, of course, is Bette Midler. (laughs) Name the debut film in which she also received her first Oscar nomination. Okay, I'll repeat. Lots of divas are known for singing before they make the leap to film. One, of course, is Bette Midler. Name the debut film in which she also received her first Oscar nomination. Now, Walter, I know you know that, Walter. Nod your head if you know it, Walter. Nod your head. And that's he's shrugging his shoulders, everybody. My gosh. I'm not Walter. certain about it. I have an idea, but I'm not certain. Okay, well, I'll see. All right. We got another call in line. We have Lizette calling from California. Hey, Lizette, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Hey, Lizette, didn't you call last okay, week? Okay, I'm I did. Well, thanks for calling I don't back. I have anything funny to say today. Say what? Yeah, I'm really, really interested in this. This is new stuff for me, this notice yeah. and processing. So I'm puzzling over the um, degree of comprehensibility one needs to strive for in the classroom, okay? Mm-hmm. From word to word, okay, to getting the gist of something, all right? So, for example, if I'm teaching French and I put out there, il a besoin d'aller au cinéma. He, he needs to go to the movies. Literally has need of going to the movies or let's say supermarché. Right. So what I do in the classroom is I, I say, let them know, teach them that a besoin de means needs. Il a besoin de means he needs. Now, do I have, should I, or not should I, but... Is it helpful to translate and point out that ah means has and besoin is need and de is of? No, not really. Is that helpful? Not really. Or just not really. No. Not really. Okay. Because um, the the those connections um, will be done unconsciously in the learner's head. Just pointing out um, avoir besoin de means to need something, and uh, il a besoin de means he needs something. It's just so they have. They can attach the meaning. And then after lots of exemplars in the input, and they, they, because they're going to hear avoir in other contexts, like j'ai, um, mm-hmm. j'ai 30 ans. Well, they're, none of your kids are going to be 30 years old, but, um, or they may say j'ai, j'ai un livre, <laughs> so I have a book, or, you know. So all these mm-hmm. instances of avoir, or, you know, they're going to know that, that that's out. You don't have to translate every single word. Um, okay. No. All right. So there'd be some things that I would point out, and some, if they ask, I would answer. 
but not not need to point it right. out. Right, and if if some student right. raises their um, hand and says, "Teacher, is that the say? Is that all like I've worn?" You say, "Yeah," and then you keep going. Yeah. Yes. Good. 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 Okay. Now you know. Now I'm thinking again about comprehensibility, and um, like I get said, some of us are from a tradition of making sure they understand every word or teaching them to stop you when they don't understand a word. And I don't mean Abizwanda, he has need up, okay? I'm not talking about that every word. I'm thinking of, like, suppose um, you say, he, he wants to go to the movies. So if someone has that in a narrative, and I am a student, and I understand he movies, right? I can probably fill in that, that middle stuff is something about going or, and then in the next sentence, maybe he gets in his car and goes, right? So I can get the gist of it. Is that enough? Or do, or not, I mean, it's enough for have the students follow the story, but is that optimal? What's optimal for acquisition? That's what I'm wondering. Uh, let me let me change the question. What's not, let's not talk about what's optimal for acquisition, but what's optimal for communication. So the answer to your question, Lizette, depends on what learners have to do with the meaning. Um, because you don't just read and keep reading. You're reading and you're interacting with the reading. You're going to do something with that information. You're going to talk about it to do something. And so, so mm-hmm. I always tell people that if you're if you're if your student can understand and respond to the task at hand, then that's sufficient. Okay. Because and presumably you would build in lots of repetition anyway. So, for example, if you're doing a narrative, let's say you're doing a story, so you have there uh, he wants to go mm-hmm. to the movies. You stop and you say, yeah, he wants to go to the movies. He does not want to go to the supermarket. He does not want to go mm-hmm. to the to school. Did that, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You say four or five times, you say he wants to go to the movies. And everybody goes, okay, yeah. And then you go on. And then you come back later and you quiz them. Now, where does he want to go? He wants to go where? You know, and they tell you, right. oh, cinema. And you go, okay, okay. And, and so on. And so presumably when you do that, all those chances and repetitions in the input um, help break down over time because what the learner needs is processing time. Because if the learner doesn't get... Right. El Vualeo Cinema, that the ver, he doesn't hear the ver in the ale or whatever, or the vualeo, whatever you want to, whatever chunk of language that, that we think the learner is actually processing. Um, subsequent encounters right away and through the narrative uh, will help give them processing time because there's already a frame for them to plug into, if I can use that, if that makes sense. They know that you're talking about mm-hmm. somebody mm-hmm. going somewhere and doing something. And so not having to, to, to process, for example, if I went from il veut aller au cinéma and then all of a sudden, il a pas d'argent, so he doesn't have any money, right? Then, mm-hmm. then that saying he doesn't have any money does nothing to help the learner process the previous sentence. So it's all, it's, okay, all, it's all about multiple encounters and the input under different situations and so on that helps uh, learners uh, process things over time. Make those connections. Got it. Um, so if I am choosing to give the input by telling a story, and I, that's what I normally do, give it in chunks, mm-hmm. and then kind of look around and reprocess that and give them more length. We call it circling, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, right. All right. Suppose then, rather than do that, I chose to make it comprehensible by drawing pictures on the board, okay? So I... We've established our character, and then I, you know, put a, a, a little bubble with big heart on it, and it has some picture indicating go, and then an arrow, and then I draw a movie theater, okay? I don't necessarily give them more repetitions of the language, but I make it clear through the pictures that I draw. Is that enough? Or is it better to go back and, and do the repetition? No, uh, it's not enough. It's not enough. Learners need 
multiple, 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 multiple encounters in the input for something to build up any robustness in what we call their mental lexicon, their little, the little dictionary in their head. So they hear, they hear the learners to hear multiple times for that to be attached to he or she wants to go. And they had to hear it lots and lots and lots. Um, you know, just, that's just the nature of language. And some things, some things can make it in sooner than others. Um, but there's nothing like what we call frequency in the input to help make something robust. So the more frequent something is, the better acquisition will be. The less frequent something in, the less, less successful acquisition will be, if that makes any sense to say it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so can we put it in terms of uh, retrieving the meaning? You know, is, it's, I said something like it's shoveling snow, okay? So you have a snowstorm and the snowstorm keeps coming and coming and coming. And if you go out there and shovel it continually, right? <laughs> so you're, you're taking care of it repeatedly. I don't know, maybe that's not a good analogy. It's like making that synapsis, synapsis keeping it clear and, and so that you keep retrieving that word over and over and over and that helps embed it in your in your language. System. Right, exactly. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have to work on that. Okay, well, good. Okay. All right, Lizette. Well, I got, another, I got two more calls coming in, so I'm going to have to let you go. So thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking well, to you again. Have a great time the rest of the day. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care, Bye-bye. Lizette. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Okay, before I take the next phone call, real quick, Angelica, is there anything on Mixler or email, Walter, that we want to address before we take the next call? I think we have a call coming in. I'm seeing something coming Yeah, up. Nata was asking, does the term processing have the same meaning in teaching and research? Um, I don't know. I have, I try to always define my terms when I write. Um, for me, processing means one and only one thing. Um, and so some people might use process differently, but process to me only means processing means making form meaning connections while you're listening or reading or, or watching as someone signs. So, um, and I would encourage teachers to use it that way too. Okay. Uh, let's take our next call. we got Victor calling from Victor. Are you on the phone? Yes. Hello. Hey, Victor. I see NM. So you're calling from New Mexico. Is that correct? Yes, Yay. Sir. What part of New Mexico are you calling from? Yeah. Albuquerque. Albuquerque. I know Albuquerque. Well, you know, I used to have a home in Santa Fe. And so I, I would oh, really? fly into Albuquerque all the time and then drive up to, uh, to um, Santa Fe. And sometimes I would drive across country and uh, spend time at my house. But yeah. Yeah, I love New Mexico. I love. I think New Mexico is one of the greatest, greatest wow. states in the United States. So there you go. Well, yeah, I was born in California, but I've been here long enough in New Mexico that, you know, don't get me wrong, California still has a little special place in my heart, but um, I can consider myself New Mexican. I've been here for twenty three yeah, years. I, I know exactly what you mean. When I when I was when I had my house there, I could easily see myself living there. I think Californians can probably do that because I'm a native Californian too. So I know exactly what you're talking about. What are you calling about? What's up? Perfect. Um, I'm actually calling to well, well to answer the diva question. Okay, well let me repeat that diva question for everybody, and then we're going to give you a chance to answer it. Here it goes. Ready? Lots of divas okay. are known for singing before they make the leap to film. One, of course, is my favorite, Bette Midler, the Divine Miss M. Okay, name the debut film in which she has also, uh, which she also received her first Oscar nomination. Victor, take it away. Um, is it the road? Ding, 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 ding. Yay. You won a prize. I'll send you a double prize if you can. Sweet. I'll send you a double prize. If without looking right now, you can tell me what her second Oscar nomination and what movie that was for. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, Oh, wait, hold on. Divine Madness? Nope, 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 nope. That's okay. You're going to get a prize anyway. I'm going to throw it out there. If anybody wants to call in and win a prize, um, I'll just throw it out there now. Victor, sorry, you can't do this now. But the question is, what did Bette okay. Midler win her second Oscar nomination for? Answer that question and I'll give you a prize if you call in for that. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Victor, your name is going to go. Okay, so I do have a question, well, though. Well, good. Ask me a question and I'll tell you no lies. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, perfect. So, um, so I've been listening since just this year, since July, and I've been binge listening, so I'm thinking about to like episode wow. 15. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
I have this vi- I have yeah. this vision of Victor lying in his bed at night with headphones on, just like. Uh, <laughs> who needs headphones? It's mostly when I. So I had the summer off, so I've been cleaning a lot, and you you guys have been in the background. Oh, now we're oh, that's a uh, new one. I haven't heard that one before. Cleaning house and cleaning things. Now we're in the background. No, okay, good. All right, good. We like that. Go. Yeah. So I've you know been listening and trying to figure out a lot of stuff. When I can get a chance to read an article, I do usually when it's free. Sorry, Walter. Um, so I guess my question is, you talk a lot about tasks and how you implement them, like when you do things in your classroom or and how you explain them to on the uh-huh. air. But I guess I'm just curious because how do because tasks have to be comprehensive, right? Or in order for them for the students to kind of receive that input and for it to make sense to them. So I'm guessing that whenever you do the tasks, you're doing it in the target language, right? Uh, yes. Okay. And so I guess my question is, how is it, if it's like the first time they're hearing this in this target language, how is it comprehensible? How do you make it comprehensible for them to understand and grasp the information? Because I know you've given the examples of like what's in your fridge or um, like sleeping patterns and stuff like that. Well, no, we wouldn't. Or how active you wouldn't are. you wouldn't give them you never get a task that learners can't do you have to you, there's two ways to do this you either prepare them for the task you lead up to the task or you provide them a task mm-hmm. for which they've had enough input and an interaction with that input that they can perform the task so for example you know tell me what's in the fridge and I'll tell you something about you um, they have to know mm-hmm. you know the names of foods how to talk about this how to talk about they have to know all these things and so I would task to me your goals are not things you start with. So I would say at the end of this week, we're okay. going to do this task on what's in your fridge is going to tell me something about you. And so then I work backwards and I build up my week with the classes so we can get to that task. And by the time we get to that task, they should be able to do it. That's, that's how you use tasks. You okay. don't start with tasks. Okay. Although, although you could do a mini task like the following, for example. Mm-hmm. I could start off by my, my first day of that week. If that's my final task, tell me what's in your fridge. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be able to say something about you. I could stop by, okay, class, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you three things in my refrigerator. And then I have, a, a, you know, and then I've got visuals and everything. And I go, in my refrigerator, there's broccoli. Mm-hmm. And I say broccoli about 1,500 times. I'm talking about broccoli because I love broccoli. And so the guy and I, I got cooked broccoli, like a fresh broccoli, blah, okay. blah, blah. I've told them in my refrigerator. I say, I don't have carrots, but I have broccoli, blah, 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 blah. And then I go, and then I have this app, and then I say something else. And then I say something else. And this takes about, you know, five minutes. And again, they hear these three things a gazillion times. Okay, uh, and then I have on the um, board three adjectives to describe me. Which of those three adjectives go with what you know so far? And that almost is like a little tiny, tiny mini task in the sense of, but it's all mm-hmm. input-based. So they're, they're getting, they're getting a, like a preview of what's going to happen later on. So they're starting to get words and things that um, are, are going to be useful for them later on. Um, uh, and then I would construct the task also that we're headed for so that because they're probably going to be novices, everything that they need is going to be on that page for them to be successful. So I don't just say, describe what's in your refrigerator. No. They're going to have a, 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 a bunch of things they've got to do first um, with input and so on on the task that day that allows them to do that part um, mm-hmm. and before they actually even interact with each other, for example. But everything's going to be on the, the, the page that they need in order to perform that task. If it were a higher level or advanced class, for example, okay. I, the task would be more open-ended. I don't have to give them all that input. Does it make sense? Oh, okay. Yeah, so right. yeah, that, that so tasks, tasks so, or goals. Guess, when I talk about tasks being the backbone of the curriculum, I don't mean you use tasks every single minute. I mean tasks inform how you structure your class time in the sense of what you work, tasks are your goals that you work toward. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. All right. And... Uh, so uh, one more quick question, if I can. Sure, go ahead. I got another call coming in. I'll so, give you one huh? minute. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So is it important for students to be able to see, like, what you're talking about in actual writing? Because, like, I know with, the, like, the TPRS, you know, you're doing the motions with whatever word it mm-hmm. is. Is it important for them to see the word to really make the connection with the word? Or is just getting that input enough, like just from hearing that's that that depends i mean that that's really i don't want to say it's a matter of taste um but we don't really know um what seeing words does i mean if it it assumes that they can read the words because if you're teaching chinese or japanese they're not going to understand the characters right um you have to actually teach that to them Mm -hmm. um whereas if you have a romanized alphabet and you hear broccoli for example in spanish and you have a picture you know you write it on the board it's very clear what that is right um so Mm -hmm. um 
but I always advocate because students vary. One of the individual differences, some students can make use of written input, some can't. Sometimes the written input gets in the way of that phonological component. You just don't know. So I just say make a cast a wide net, use both writ, written and oral input over time, and you'll be fine. That's what I tell people, if it's possible. Okay. Okay? All right. Okay, your name's going in the hat. Thanks for calling, Victor. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye, Victor. Bye. Um, before we take our next call, I just want to do something uh, real quick. Angelica, do you remember last week we had that question about crosstalk? Oh, yeah. Somebody what, asked about what's what that all about. about? Uh, and so Mark, uh, Mark Koopman, I'm going to say his last name because he wrote into us, and I want to thank him for this, wrote a really nice explanation of crosstalk. And he says that crosstalk is, comes out of the automa- uh, automatic language growth program, which was developed to teach uh, Thai, Thai language in Bangkok. Um, and he said it was developed, the program, the automatic language growth was developed by Dr. J. Marvin Brown. And he says that crosstalk just means that students are allowed to speak their own native language as long as the teacher understands it. So if I'm teaching Angelica, um, uh, well, let me take Walter, because Angelica's native language is German and I understand that. So if I'm teaching Spanish, um, doing something in the class with Walter and Walter speaks back to me in English, that's fine. Um, because I can understand English. Meanwhile, he's getting input from me in Spanish as long as he's comprehending it, and I'm not going to be worried about what he's doing with English. So crosstalk just means allowing students to use their native language um, with, when the, while the teacher's using the target language. Um, and so that's it. That's what um, Mark says, and I think that was a good um, explanation. So thank you, Mark, for that. Okay, we have a call on the line. Hey, actually, we have Joe. Bill, before we take what? the call, can you just clarify one thing real quick? Um, this whole sure. conversation you just had with Victor about tasks and goals. So tasks are goals, right? So you said tasks are not things you start with. They are goals or things you want students to be able to do, correct? That's how I use tasks. Yeah, yeah. tasks are things you work toward. Um, it doesn't make sense to start with tasks because students may not be able to do them. Great. So Thank you. Right. Okay, we have uh, a call, another call on the line. We have Joe. Joe, are you on the line? Yes, I hey, am. Hey, Joe, where are you calling from? Hello? I'm calling from Georgia. Oh, what part of Georgia? Um, Atlanta, Tucker. Oh, okay. Um, Metro, I've, Metro yeah, Atlanta. Yeah, I've been in Atlanta lots of times. I was there last summer, summer of 16, it was June. We were doing a 69. week-long workshop oh. out there for area teachers. <laughs> so Sorry. So, Joe, I don't know. Yeah, I missed it. Angelica and Walter are having a good time laughing here in the studio. So, just, just ignore them, Joe. It's, it's all about you and me right now, anyway. So, so Joe, are you calling in with uh, my question about Bette Midler? I am. Okay. So, let me repeat the question. The earlier question was um, about the Rose, for which she won her first Oscar. So, the question is for you tell us the movie for which she won her, uh, earned her second Oscar nomination. And that movie is. For the Boys. Yay! Ding, 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 ding. For the Boys. Great movie. Um, Do you know what movie she turned down, Joe, to do For the Boys? I do not. You do not know? Sister Act was written for Bette Midler. With Whoopi Goldberg. Really? Sister Act was written for Bette Midler. It was a touchstone picture. But she wanted to do For the Boys, which was a wise career choice. She didn't make it that much money. Uh, the movie, but it was a good career choice because it was huh. Academy Award nominated movie. Um, but yeah, she would. Uh, she was supposed to be the. Yeah. Um, she was supposed to be Whoopi Goldberg in Sister Act. So there you go. How's that tidbit? Huh. Okay, your name goes in the hat. So uh, probably more than you wanted to know, right, cool, Joe? Thank you so much. All right, much. Joe. Uh, good luck. We'll talk to you later. Okay. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. See you, Joe. Bye, Joe. All right. Did you know that Walter that Bette Midler is supposed to do Sister Act? I did not know that. I'm trying to picture her as Whoopi Goldberg in that movie because I love that movie. Huh. Isn't that a great movie? It would have been a different movie with Bette Midler, but it would still have been funny. So anyway, so uh, all right. Um, in a few minutes here, we're going to do our book drawing. No, 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 you guys, we've got another oh, minute come here. come on. Um, we're so excited. Come on. These guys, okay, you two are so excited about doing the book drawing. Yeah. Don't you want to know, don't you want to know anything more about noticing on Galicia? Oh, sure. Let's we hear. may have put our own names in the mug. <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> Well, what else do you have to share with us about noticing? Nothing really. There's just, there's been a lot written about it. Um, I encourage people to actually, um, there was a book in honor of Dick Schmidt that was published in 2015, 
can't remember the year it was published in. Uh, it's called Noticing and Second Language Acquisition Studies in Honor of Richard Smith. It's a good book. People should uh, people should look it up and see what I'm talking about in there. Um, again, I don't I don't mean to denigrate noticing. A lot of people work in that framework. Um, it's just that we have always. This is true of almost all research in second language acquisition. We have to temper our claims because the kinds of measurements we use bias toward explicit language learning, and it's really the implicit stuff that we want to know about. So. Um, and that's true of research on noticing often uses measures of explicit knowledge rather than implicit knowledge. Okay. Now we're ready to do the drawing. Are you ready to do the drawing? No, I actually have a quick question for you. Quick. Um, a Mixler question here. I understand what crosstalk is, but does Bill think it's okay? I raised my sons overseas and for years let them answer me in Spanish, but I spoke to them in English almost exclusively. But in the classroom, I don't like it. Maybe I should allow in the classroom what worked well at home. Um, I don't care one way or the other. Again, these are things that are a matter of taste. I have seen nothing wrong with it. I know um, I grew up with a lot of cousins um, who only spoke English when my grandparents and their parents would speak to them in Spanish. They'd cross-talk with their parents and my grandparents. Um, and they're not bad with their Spanish, no. I mean, they just, you know, they were just that classic immigrant stuff where you don't want to speak the immigrant language, right? I did. My sister did. Um, and a couple of my cousins did, um, but the rest of them didn't. So, I, I, you know, it's just a matter of taste. And I think that it's okay. And that as long as they're comprehending, they're getting language in their head. So that's my answer to that. Okay, book drawing. Who's drawing the book? I am. Okay. Oh, she picked it. Do we need a drum roll? I, oh, Do we need I already, a drum roll? I already picked it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw your hand go on the cup, <laughs> the mug. We used a mug today. We didn't use a hat. Okay. So, Angelica, who's the winner of the book today? The winner is Victor from New Mexico. Yay, Victor Yay, from Victor. New Mexico. Victor. All right, Victor. I will get your address from Dustin here, and I'm going to sign a copy of that book, and that will go out to you in the mail. Yay, yay. Yay for All Victor. Right. Okay. And um, I don't know if I, I talk about noticing in the book at all. I, don't, I think I might in Chapter 6. I might talk just a little bit about, just a little tiny, tiny bit about noticing <laughs> in chapter six, but just a little tiny, tiny bit. All right. Okay, you guys. Um, so what's going to be our topic for next week? I don't know. You're going to surprise us. I heard from Reed in, a, in an email um, who wants me to talk about blocking sometimes. You know what blocking is? Yeah, it's when you're playing football and the... Um... Exactly. Oh, wait, blocking and tackling. That's what we're going to talk about next week. No, blocking is about L1 interference. Um, and so we might talk about the a role of L1 um, next week. We might, we'll see. Um, I'll make up my mind tomorrow and I'll what, look and know. We'll send that tweet out. We'll send the, the newsletter out on, uh, when was it? We send the Monday. newsletter on what? Monday. Oh my gosh, I'm losing my brain. I'm just, I swear, I left brain cells all over the United States. You know that? It's just, <laughs> you could probably, there's probably, my, my brain cells are like a DNA trail all over the United States. Ah, it's awful. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll start wrapping up here in a minute. Give my acknowledgments. We have so many people to thank. The show is only possible because of people like Daniel Trego, our technical producer. Daniel's a whiz. He's the one helping me call in from Chowchilla today. Um, our media producer, uh, Luca Giappone. Yay, Luca. Luca, you owe me a plate of fettuccine. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> the talented and trusted call handler and our muscle man, our favorite muscle man, Dustin DeFelice. Of course, we want to thank our new intern, um, Chad. Arach. We have two now, Chad and Ryan, right? So we'll talk about I'm going to um, fill you in on them later on. Um, we want to uh, uh, thank the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our dean, Christopher Long. Um, write him a note and say, I love tea with BBP. He'd love to hear from you. No, actually, he would. I don't want to flood his mailbox, but, you know, every now and then a little, little note about it. we're doing good stuff would be good. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, if we had any, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And of course, we always thank you listeners out there, and especially people who brave the phone lines and call in. Big round of applause to everybody who called in today. Yay! Okay, we'll be back next week at the same time, the same day of the week. Have a great Labor Day. Have a great and safe weekend. And happy second language acquisition to everybody out there. Walter Angelica, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Until next week. 
Wait, you need to get Yay. your German in there. Bliss. Auf Wiedersehen. You guys doing anything for Labor Day? Are you guys doing a Labor Day picnic? Oh, I'm sure I'll eat something. No, but are you doing a Labor Day picnic? No. Should Walter, I? Walter, what are you doing for Labor Day? I don't know. Sleeping, I think. I like that. Oh, good Gosh. idea. A sleep picnic. I'll be working. I always work on holidays. Yeah, I know. I hear you. Well, off. it is called Labor Day. I know, right? Yeah, we should be working. No, not even pregnant. Oh, just, that's a bad joke, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.